Dana Townsend, a disabled Black woman living with MS. I'm a professor, content creator, and all-around dope person. Unlearning and unpacking all the toxic junk I've picked up while living most of my life as a temp in an ableist society. I'm Carlos Kareem Windham. They, them. I am a Black and Native facilitator, comedian, and musician living with MS. Join us as we explore and examine the Venn diagram of culture, politics, and more. The full range of intersectional issues facing disabled folk in a racist and ableist world. We will raise our spirits while we raise your awareness, and we all raise the temp on these temps, uh, temporarily abled people, to help them get some act right. Join us this season on Myelin and Melanin, Raising the Temp. I'm, no, I'm let, let me tell you the truth. I am looking forward to listening to it, and I'm going to tell you why I'm looking forward to listening to it. Uh, as I don't remember if we've talked about, and I would be unsurprised whether or not I had, uh, I, I may have some eating issues mm. uh, and uh, have maybe had some eating issues and some food issues for, listen, I'm 51. I look this thin. So I'm just saying I've had some eating issues. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mr. Rogers had eating issues, right? My man was like determined his weight was always going to be uh-huh. one or three for I love you, sir. That's a major eating disorder is what that is. Mm-hmm. You are an exercise bulimic is what you are. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I've only come to recognize my own stuff and really, 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 really get into it in the last three years. I was going to say, did it? So you recognizing the eating issues or maybe the eating issues developing? Was it after MS? Mm. I, um, yes. Yeah. Fuck yes, actually, dead ass. Because I'll tell you what else happened. I was before MS. Wow. Ooh, you just blew my mind, girl. <laughs> that hurt. Before MS, I was uh, pushing 200 pounds. And you could not say shit to me about my Tony Soprano sexy. <laughs> like, I was with it. I was with my I'd, I'd go out in my bathrobe to get uh-huh. the get the newspaper, <laughs> have my titties out, my belly out. I was very proud of my dicky do. Uh, yeah, no, after, you know, and I'd, I'd always had like. I mean, I, I had other food issues then, but it was not it was not on this side of it. Right. Then it was like mm-hmm. sugar addiction. And, and right. Uh, you, you know, know. It's, it's interesting. I am no nutritionist, anything, but I've thought about these things because I've talked with Anna before. She's been on other episodes before mm, mm, the reboot. Mm. First of all, we I know that she would love to come on back on and talk with both of us. So we need to I, have her I on wanna, again. I, I, just based on just her Instagram page, I am so down. Yeah, so yeah. Down. And you're going to enjoy the episode. Um, but anyway, but what I was going to say is that, you know, obviously MS is an out of control, unpredictable, wild disease. And food and eating is the one thing you can, and not the one thing, but it's one thing that you have absolute control over. Mm-hmm. You can control what you put in your mouth, you know, all of these things. So, you know, I wonder sometimes 
is food for some people, not for you necessarily, but is that something that people use when you are out of control, when your life is out of control, to have oh, yes. some sort of control over something, you know, and yeah. you can control, you know, what you eat, you know, you can all those control things. what you I eat. Don't know, whatever. Listen, the pain on the outside, tattoos, absolutely. I'm taking the pain mm. from the inside, putting it on the outside, running. 100%. The food issues, you bet. Uh, it's, you know, it, it's it, that that weird feeling you get when you don't eat and you kind of get dizzy, but you're still doing your thing. And you, mm -hmm. like all of that is, is, yeah, that's control. It, yeah. There are things like yesterday, I worked out too hard because I had said uh, I, I was going to choose uh, my pain. My neck had been mm. locking up on me for a, a week. Mm -hmm. and uh i just decided well it hurts anyway i'm yeah. i'm going to do this and i'm going to be in control of the kind of pain right now anyway for 20 minutes yeah so yeah i yeah. i yes it's wild yes. it really is so listen before we get into this thing though mm -hmm. uh what has been your uh uh i'm going to say silver streak wow ms silver lining God damn, silver lining. <laughs> right. Hooey. Because MS. Because MS Silver Streak. <laughs> Gene Wilder, Richard Pryor movie. Good God. Uh, what is your silver lining? You know, my silver lining is going to be similar to what my silver lining was when we talked last time. I said my silver lining was being a professor. And it's that not for the wild reasons that we were talking about the publisher and all that that's a whole other thing you know mm -hmm. whatever but so i'm working on developing well a couple things i'm working on developing a class on disability um critical disability studies so okay. i teach in the social science department i teach sociology specifically and there are no, well, again, you know, you don't know who's invisibly disabled, but right. I don't think that there are any, like, you know, full-time disabled people, because there is a difference. <laughs> There's a difference. And, and that said, so two of the classes, so, you know, in the general intro to sociology classes, like in the health, and I, I referenced this last time we talked, but in the health and illness units, you know, there's a little snippet about disability and fine. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so there are two other classes that I teach occasionally. One is called Valuing Diversity, and the other one is Introduction to Diversity Studies. Now, in the Valuing Diversity, a little snippet about disability. And in fact, this is just making me think this has nothing to do with anything really but the book that we're using currently i don't think it has any unit on disability so you know i have to throw my own things together but my point is is that as a social science department i feel like we have to be talking about this we offer classes on diversity valuing diversity right. and disability is absolutely 100 percent a part of diversity now, when I was a temp, I probably could have just like brushed past it. Not that I would argue that it's not diversity, but it wouldn't have been on my mind. So that being said, you know, as somebody who is, 
you know, a full-time disabled person, and that is something that I've adopted as a part of my identity, mm. I feel that it's my responsibility to, you know, to educate people. So with that said, I'm developing a course on disability studies, but in one of the classes that I'm teaching, my intro to diversity studies, next week is our unit or the unit that I'm developing on ableism. So with that said, that's what I was working on before um, before we got on today. And two of, so I'm showing, one of the things that I'm showing my lecture is Kim, Kim Oliver, her mm -hmm, TED talk mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. she did that introduced me to her. And then I'm not going, it's gonna be optional for them to listen to, but I sure put the link to the podcast episode Come on. you know, in the unit. So, you Come know, on. and I figure that, and I think I posted this on my Facebook, but, you know, professors will assign their research and their writing for students to read because it's important. I figure like, why not, you know, my podcast is like something that's real and that's sure important. Sure you know, is. people's lived experiences are key and crucial. But anyway, so I, you know, I was trying to convince myself that it's okay. It's not weird that you're, you know, suggesting that they listen to your podcast, but it's important. And that was an important conversation. And then, so that's that. And then I, they're watching a little clip of something that Imani Barberin, Crutches and Spice did. Nice. And then I linked our um, episode that we the did episode, with her. Yes, with Imani. These absolutely. are important things. So anyway, yes. so that said, my silver lining, the fact that I'm able to incorporate my lived experiences and the things that I love, you know, the podcast and all of that, you know, into what I do. Oh. So anyway, that's my that's my silver lining. That is yeah. dope. Thank that you. That is dope. Oh, that's what? exciting. What is your silver lining? Oh, goodness. Uh, wow. Okay, well, you know, I tweeted it. So, like, as I'm sitting here thinking about whether or not to share it, that's a stupid thing to think because I've shared it. Uh, <laughs> this week, uh, I was talking to my therapist, and it was it, it, it's a two-parter because it came with work, uh, but it also came with a thank you, right? A, a feeling seen. She indirectly referred to me specifically as one of her, uh, one of the neurodivergent people with whom she works. Hmm. Uh, and she did so by saying something about, listen, other neurodivergent people with whom I work. <laughs> it's like, oh, um, Oh, okay. Uh, right. And we're, you know, I've been exploring this, right? I've been exploring this. And anyone who knows me, like if I start talking about neurodivergence or the possibility of where I am on the spectrum or whatever, it's like anybody's like, yeah, no shit. Did you notice the parrot on your shoulder? Good for you, goofball. <laughs> but I have noticed and we've been exploring. And the the part two of that is she's a witch mm. she's she's a black witch first of all okay i gotta be very clear so she don't give you i told her weeks ago that part of the reason i wanted to get an evaluation 
was so that I could look at my family and be like, see, motherfucker, I told you I couldn't tell you why I was lost. I told you, you know, and um, she said, no, no, not so much of that, that, you know, the other half of the sentence was doesn't mean you're off the hook. Hmm. Right. So as with my other neurodivergent patients, it doesn't mean you're off the hook. And I started realizing, oh, shit. You mean I got to work three times as hard? I got to be vulnerable. You mean I'm going to have to tell people like what's going on in the room and like walk in and be like, okay, I'm going to only stay for a few minutes, but I love y'all. Y'all know what it is. But if I stay here, I'm going to freak out. So instead of doing that, I'm just telling you right now, then I'm going to spin the circle. I'm going to do the room t- three times and I'm out. And like, tell everyone, I got to tell everybody. Ugh. And no, I don't got to do anything, right? It's my life. It's, you know, but yeah, that, uh, no, no, no. Yeah. Let's keep exploring this. Yes. Let, let's, let's own it. And also, no, it doesn't mean you're off the hook. And no, you don't get to go push it in people's face. Like some kind of a cream pie. Like that is right. not. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I wanted to so bad. I really did. I was going to be a spiteful little bitch. I really was. That's intense, though. That is a lot of work, a lot of unpacking, and a lot of. Oh, girl. Yeah. Oh, girl. <laughs> well, wait, hold on. Like, and maybe because I'm asked, what was the silver lining in that? Oh, ha- having it said aloud. Okay. Be- feeling seen. Okay. Feeling seen, having it said back uh, to me. And also the reality of knowing, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. That's just more therapy for us to do. That's more for <laughs> us to unpack. Great. Let's get into it. Right. Let's, Let's get into it. it. Yeah. A lot of super smart people aren't really able to deal with the world. And it's a little different <laughs> to them. So you're in that group. You're not special. Let's talk. <laughs> right. Just like, oh, what? I'm not special. No, that didn't make you special. Ah, oh, damn it. <laughs> that's, a lot. that's a lot. So, yeah, it's been silver. It's a silver lining. That is, that's a big silver lining. Yes, Feeling seen and taking, like, taking up space. You know, it's like a different way, conceptualization of taking up space. Absolutely. Indeed. Indeed. That's a big silver lining. Indeed. It's interesting. What you were saying brings up something that I wanted to address that I had said. So, of course, so Anna and I recorded uh, that interview back in December. So it's been a while. And so as I was going through and, you know, editing it, getting ready, you know, I was listening to it and I said something that I kind of cringed when I said it and I Uh want to address it. Uh Uh-oh. But, okay, so I had said something to the effect of people, and specifically as it relates to the MS community, because Mm -hmm. there were all kinds of thoughts in my mind, and I'll explain what prompted it in a second. But I said, people don't seem to mind the invisible disabilities. It's Mm. the visible disabilities that people you know, are up in arms about. And Mm. as I was listening to it, I know what I meant by that. And I, Mm -hmm. as I, you know, got, as we continued in the conversation, you know, it would kind of became apparent where I was going. But as I said that, I realized like, no, because 
invisible disabilities, you know, like there's no way, there shouldn't be a hierarchy of disabilities in terms of how they impact mm. people. Mm. Now, mm. there is a hierarchy in terms of challenges that physical challenges that you have and of course mm -hmm. i'm coming as somebody who is newly fully physically disabled mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know that's like the framework that's the lens through which i see disability now because when i was like a temp when i was you know invisible like i was totally invisible like i'm not going to claim disability unless I have to, right. and it, there became a point when I had to, you know, it was, so anyway, so the cringy thing was me saying, well, you know, people don't give a fuck if they have, I didn't say that, but then, you know, don't give a fuck if they have just have invisible disabilities, wait until they become physical. And what I meant is that there's a whole lot of things that were brewing in my mind when I said that. And this it may be an unpopular opinion that I'm about to say now, but I and 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 this is maybe the me who is fully stepped into the identity of a disabled person. Mm -hmm. But it's it's irritating. Come on, I'm just gonna say it. Come it on. irritates me. People whose disabilities are completely invisible seem to have no and i'm being extra when come i say on, this come on come to, on come on they don't seem to have a problem adopting like i'm disabled you know i'm you know disabled disabled this that and the other okay mm. fair you are i mean it's an invisible disability it's still a disability but that being said people who are invisibly disabled can comfortably walk no pun intended or maybe pun intended walk in and out of that identity as right. they wish you know what i'm saying like when you are physically disabled when you require you know mobility devices and things like that you it's like on full display this is who yeah. i am and i have to navigate the world and we're not even going to talk about the physical challenges of the world but we have to navigate people's attitudes about disability when they encounter us in our disabled yeah. glory. You know what I'm saying? And when you, and, and again, you know, I understand and I know, and I'm not meaning to offend people who embrace disability, who are, you know, have invisible disabilities, but it's different. And I think that it's important to recognize that difference. And that is kind of like where I was going with that. But mm -hmm. I do want to say, you know, because it was like, ooh, that's, you know, that's not good. I mean, invisibility, invisible disabilities suck. You know, memory issues and cog fog and all those things like that is horribly disabling. Yeah. And again, not to say, well, my disability is worse than your. No, let's not play that game. I'm not about that. Yeah. But it's different. So when you're like, you know, skipping along, he he ha ha, I'm disabled. You know, it, it's it's a different thing when you say that versus somebody who, you know, is very visibly disabled, who has no choice but to step into uh, that identity. It's yeah. different. So anyway, yeah, that's yeah. where I was going.
right. Well, we're going to get into it. Hey, yeah. let's uh, let's introduce who this person is. Who you? So you have been talking about this interview. Yes. Uh, please introduce who you're talking to and then yes. I'll continue and then we'll get into it. Yes. So I talked with Anna Sweeney. We talked back in December. The interview itself is not dated. It's so relevant always. But that being said, we talked back in December and I just want to tell y'all how dope she is. So, and I'm going to read her bio. Anna Sweeney is a certified eating disordered registered dietitian, certified intuitive eating specialist, and owner of whole, whole life nutrition counseling. She is an expert in the treatment of individuals struggling with eating disorders, disordered eating, and emotional eating. Anna combines her knowledge of the science of nutrition and experience in the treatment of eating disorders with direct, compassionate, and heartfelt care to help her clients realize the pleasures of living a whole life. Anna is a recognized public figure on social media where she does not shy away from talking about chronic illness, wellness, culture, and how to navigate these tenuous spaces. Anna also proudly identifies herself as a disabled woman. In the context of Anna's disability and inability to access nature in the ways that she once could, Anna created hashtag inaccessible views where she asks for photos of uh, video spaces around the world that a disabled body cannot otherwise experience with over 10,000 views inaccessible views is uh powerfully see i almost had that right there right there and that's where i just tripped over my own tongue ms inaccessible views powerfully bridges the gap between the abled body and disabled worlds. Hey, this is a conversation between uh, your new friend, my new friend, Anna, and our dear Dana. And uh, you know, it's about to be good. So uh, let's raise the temp. Talking about ableism as a person who has not been disabled, like I haven't been disabled my entire mm-hmm. life. And I'm actually, even as a person who is acquiring illness, mm-hmm. like, in the moment that we are speaking and like I don't know what tomorrow is going to look like and it's very um unique experience for me and this is in part because I don't really care about Mm -hmm. whether or not I offend people by making them think about things that are hard to think about Mm -hmm. um but more often people have been pretty generous in receipt of feedback Mm-hmm. about things because I didn't know the things that I know now when I was an like a physically able person yep mm-hmm. and I I mean I've had MS for 20 plus years mm-hmm. and I gosh I'm like a better human for it but mm. I cannot tell you that I wouldn't love to have a big break mm-hmm. living in this body is hard and harder. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, it is. The whole idea of, well, not idea, the reality of becoming progressively to say like just, you know, the acquiring those little 
thing. You know what I mean? Like it's such a traumatic experience that people don't like to talk about. And I noticed that just, you know, like I was saying before in the MS community, people, you know, nobody wants to accept or think about the fact that they may become visibly disabled. That's what I'll say. Because people, and I guess I don't care who I offend by saying this, but people don't mind as much those invisible disabilities because no one can tell. You know what I mean? Like, you know, if I'm perfectly physically abled, you can't tell that I have a disability. But when it comes to a lot of time, and and I'm sure you've overheard comments like this before too, like, I'd rather be dead than be in a wheelchair. You know, people make comments like that. And, you know, it's it's almost as if becoming physically disabled is like worse than death. It's, you know, it's a mind blowing thing. And so with that said, like, I'm not going to lie, like, before I became disabled, I was probably one of the most ablest people there are, you know what I mean? But it's not until you don't know what you don't know. Like a lot of times, like, it's not until you are in that situation or you, somebody that you love or care about is in that situation that you really even think about these things. Um, And unless it is up close and personal and actually in your face, and I think there's a very big difference. So what you were talking about people Uh having disabilities, societally having a body that moves very differently Mm -hmm. about the planet throws an extra layer of challenge to the mix because we are all sharing this one planet. Right. Um, And the world is not particularly hospitable to those of us who are physically disabled and Mm -hmm. live with challenges. And I never, I mean, gosh, Dana... (laughs) If I think about like the little things, the little symptoms that I have, like I can't straighten this finger. Oh, really? Yes. That's a really weird thing. Or like mm-hmm. I can't do my hair in the way that I used to because yeah. my arm strength is compromised and like putting on eye makeup, I can do it, but it is a different game. Yep. I don't talk about that. I mean, I'm talking about it to you. Right. I don't talk about this. And if, you know, up until a couple of, I mean, pre-pandemic, mm-hmm. my my life was different. I had a gym that I could go to and I would never, and I'm, I'm not putting myself in a risky position, although I am vaccinated. I just, right. I don't, I mean, COVID has messed up everything. Mm-hmm. And one of the losses that I have suffered in the time of COVID is a significant change in my physical ability mm-hmm. in part related to having to change a medication, but also mm-hmm. I, I was working out six hours a day or six hours a week. Right. Now I have like, I have a home gym, whatever. I mean, and by a home gym, I mean, I have bar right. literally right. I'm looking at it in my bedroom, a mm-hmm. thing to squat with. And right. I have, a walker to walk about my one floor of my home. Mm-hmm. But pre pandemic, people would see me in the world. I have memories of pulling up to a place where I was getting infusions and 
I remember this guy asking me if there was something he could do to help me. And I was walking into a building that had sliding glass doors and I am positive. And like earlier people asked me like, did I have a knee replacement? Because I wear electrical stimulation devices Uh on my leg. And that's all really um, what I didn't recognize, but I recognize now is that, you know, that's pretty jovial stuff that people are trying to be kind or whatever. And I know now that if I were in the world or when I am in the world and I move more slowly and taking my walker out of my car is a little bit more difficult and getting into my car looks a little bit more awkward and takes more time. I am not going to get subtly hit on by a stranger or some, nobody's going to offer to help me um, mm-hmm. because now I am this young looking person who is I imagine like my disability probably makes strangers uncomfortable. Right. Uh, And so, I mean, it's, it is just, it is a fascinating thing. The layers of becoming invisible. Yes. Um, Yes. Like early disability. I went to a conference an eating disorder conference. There were like hundreds of people, and I was using a walker because it was at, a, at like a hotel in Vegas and it was huge and, or not a walker. I was using a scooter. I could uh-huh. walk. I, I used a cane at the time, but I, mm-hmm. I used a motor scooter to kind of get me around. And people knew to look for me in the scooter. I told them I would be in right. the scooter. And these were like people I loved and colleagues that I had known for years. And People looked over me and around me and like beside me. I heard people talking about me in the, like the rented wheel, like scooter thing. And it didn't look like I became invisible in a community in which I'm actually a pretty important member. I was less important then than I am now. I think my experience today, but that was 2017 and now gosh, totally different. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's funny. Well, not funny, but interesting. So when I was still walking and using a walker, like I used to tell, you know, you don't, first of all, it's so intrusive many times, like, you know, how people will inquire about like, what's wrong with you? Why, you know, how did you get, you know, all, you know, all the things, but I used to like when random people would, you know, comment on. Uh, so at the time I had, it was really cute. It was like this little, like the Walker was like this pink, like metal. It was cute for Walker. Anyhow. So people would comment that I, and, and in retrospect, it's interesting because I do not like to be the center of attention. So I'm not sure why I had like a cute Walker because of course, like people, it doesn't look like, like the typical, you know, purpose, right. It's a thing, but that said, so people would comment on it and, oh, you must've had, you know, a knee replacement or whatever. And I would like say, yeah, I did. That is so deep. Yes. Like, yeah. And that makes people feel comfortable. First of all, I'm not going to get into my whole health history with some stranger, But that said, if I would say, you know, I have MS, whatever, you know, as you alluded to before, that makes people uncomfortable because young people 
aren't supposed to be using canes and walkers and wheels. Like that's not supposed to be, you know, according, that's what society tells us. But yeah, it's so deep that I, I played the game, you know, and like the performance, like it's, you know, something that I was thinking about not too long ago was this idea of playing abled. Like there's so much, you know, it's ability as a performance, really. You know, I talk a lot in my classes. So background, I teach sociology and I talk about performing gender. So gender is a performance. We play gender. That's what we do. Anyway, so I had this revelation, like we play, especially for people who have chronic illnesses that can lead to disability, we hang on. And and not, not that there's really anything wrong with this, but we hang on to every remnant of ability that we have to fit in with what society says is normal. It's like we play, like, it's like we perform. And it's so exhausting. Like, I remember before I became as visibly disabled as I am now, like, I used to try so hard not to appear disabled. And it's exhausting, one. But two, like, it's so deep. Thinking about how much we internalize what is normal, you know, where do we derive value and yes how do we honor human bodies that uh, you know have different and varying needs on this planet I completely relate to your expression of playing abled Mm -hmm. I stopped being able I love high heels love them so much oh yeah I did too I stopped being able to wear high heels like two years before I stopped buying them and I held on to shoes that I I literally like I would wear them in my bedroom and then or I would wear them to go to a restaurant and I'd put them on in the car and walk to the walk to the restaurant and then walk back to the car and take the shoes off and then I would just wear them in my bedroom and then I had this like collection of shoes that were just in my collection of should right like Mm -hmm. I'm going to be a young professional I should be able to wear high heels. I should, the the layers of that continue to unravel, right? Mm -hmm. As I, as my body changes, and I'm not going to say as my body unravels, but it's in some way parallel, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I, I'm apologizing a lot less, but it is so much easier to be an apologist than it is to just be, um, like kind of an agony about how mm. much just really hard and how much easier it might be if the world were easier to navigate. Yes. Yes. And that's really the thing. I mean, society is what disables us, you know, to be honest, you know, like if, if society, if the world were easier for people who use mobility devices and I mean, what, Yes. I mean, the what would be, and of course, like there's so much unpacking, you know, especially people who acquire disabilities. There's so much unpacking that we have to do to really kind of come to terms with the fact that we're okay. You know what I'm saying? Like whatever body we present, 
our earth suit, which I absolutely love that term. It, it is what it is. That's just how we are, you know, that's just how we're appearing right now. You know what I'm saying? That this is how we're showing up. So, I mean, that's a one thing to have to come to terms with. But if society, if the world was easier to navigate, I, I, yeah, that's a whole other conversation. But, you know, that is really what disables us on many levels, how difficult it is. Yeah, I mean, and I think, I think about the layers of privilege that I have that allow me to mitigate disabilities. Mm-hmm. So I have mm-hmm. these ESIM devices, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have dorsiflexion on my right foot. So I have this electrical stimulation device that lives on my calf and it lifts up my foot. Mm-hmm. And that is amazing, right? So like when I try to move my leg, my foot lifts up because of science and money. And I have a car that I can drive with my hand and that is a privilege. And I have chair lifts and like, that's incredible. And I find like, I'm really, I'm pretty comfortable in my house, but Mm -hmm. I'm really not comfortable. Like in the outside, whatever Mm -hmm. the, whatever it is that happens on the outside is a totally different experience. Yes. If it takes me seven steps to get from my, like my chair, the stair chair in my garage to my car, it takes me like 70 steps to get from my car back into my house. I don't know why. I have mm-hmm. no idea what, what happens on the outside, but my body seems to really, really, really want to protect me by keeping me in this safe space. Yes. You know, part of it, you know, I wonder it, well, first of all, it's exhausting. Like once you've been out on the outside and navigating, not only like the physical barriers that are placed in, you know, in, but like, you know, just people, because again, like you're this young, pretty woman, like you shouldn't, but listen, why do you have a walk? You know what I'm saying? Like, just like navigating people's ableist attitudes and you know intrusive comments and it's too much you know sometimes it's like I I don't even want to deal with it you know what I mean yep I mean I I think what you just you hit the nail on the head though like my pretty face and my thin privilege Mm -hmm. and my long blonde hair like I the last time I was in New York I was using I was in a wheelchair I'm like I get like hit on in wheelchairs, which is a weird feeling when there's someone that's like three feet over you commenting about it's like, that's a very bizarre situation. And I know that my experience of navigating the planet as a disabled person is much more gentle than it could be otherwise, because strangers offer to help me and they don't berate me and they don't jump at me with assumptions about the fact that like I did a thing to like deserve a thing right exactly and that's like not even grace that I deserve right so like I didn't do anything for that it just is I'm lucky right there are if for every one of me there are millions of people that don't have my story and it's one of the reasons why it's so important to me to talk about this stuff as I learn Mm because literally I feel like I am a student of my body 
right? I am learning from my body, but I'm also learning about just how like culturally screwed up the world is, right? Because we think about people that need mobility aids being octogenarians and then then they are literally like invisible and women kind of become invisible or Mm -hmm. with female presenting humans Mm -hmm. lose their like visual appeal at some arbitrary point right and so we go from like being catcalled to being like not existing on the planet anymore and then you throw this layer and people don't even want to like look yes it's so it's such a huge layered thing like you know in my younger years I'm old now but like my like sex appeal was my fame you know what Mm -hmm. I'm saying like that was something that was my thing and as I've become disabled like I don't and even if somebody saw me and let you know and you know my disability didn't you know influence the way that they saw me like it influences the way that I see myself like I am no longer like I'm still that same Dana from you know 17 years ago however I'm not physically you know what I'm saying I don't like the person that I I don't like what my body, you know, how my body is presented. I don't, I don't like, you know what I'm saying? And so the stories, and this is something that you had um, written about on your Instagram, which I'm completely obsessed with, but writing, and it so reminds me of Sonia Renee Taylor's The Body's Not Apology, who we talked with together. But anyway, the need to rewrite our body stories. And the stories that we tell ourselves, because again, like I'm the same Dana from, you know, those years ago when I was prancing around thinking I'm so cute, but you know, why am I different? You know what I'm saying? Like I, you know, it's a completely different story that I'm telling myself like, oh no, like, yeah, it's big and it's hard. And we truthfully, so think about like, popular culture and media and stuff like I don't see myself on tv I don't see and like more so now like I'm grateful that there's like more diversity in commercials but like kind of because everybody's like light brown and like maybe there's one person in a wheelchair right like fine which is better than like everyone looking like me right for commercials for everything right and so like a nod to 2020 being a little bit like of an ass kick for like the unwoke, right. but still presented with the same, like, this is normal. And, you know, like we all get these one bodies. And I, I think that one of the hard things for me is, you know, I can be really loud and vocal about calling out ableism mm-hmm. and simultaneously I grieve my able body. Oh yeah. And it feels almost hypocritical except I am human and we are all humans. And mm-hmm. so of course we seek greater ease. And it's so funny because in some ways like greater ease means like 
maybe I should just use a scooter. Like, would that make my quality of life better? I don't know. Like, it would be a hard thing to do in my home, but like, would that be a better thing? But then what does it mean about me? And like, what am like, so the layers are, yes, you know, they're just endless. Um, yes. Then that's my internalized ableism. And that's my desire to grab on to like the last remnants of yes. what was right. Or mm-hmm. what, what I can. Yeah. Yeah. Something that you had written on your Instagram, you had posted something that says you don't need to carry the body beliefs of the humans who raised you. And, you know, for listeners, Anna is a registered dietitian who focuses on eating disorders. And so the content that you produce, you know, you know, and put out on your Instagram, et cetera, it's from the lens of somebody who, as a registered dietitian, as somebody who is focusing on, you know, anti-diet culture and all those things, but you're also a disabled person. And so with that said, and this is, I'm getting off topic a little bit, because I wanted to talk a little bit about what you said, but to what extent do you think is your message shaped by your experiences, experiences as somebody with a disability? Well, to be really honest with you, and I feel, I actually will say, I feel pretty proud of my Instagram, like the, just, I feel pretty proud of the work that mm-hmm. I do there. And certainly in the last year and a half, like I am so much more social justice oriented Mm -hmm. than I was before, at least in an out loud fashion, but everything I do or to the best of my ability, everything I do comes with this layer of learned and lived experience. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's one of, it's one of like a gift that I want to throw like all the way back kind of like I don't want if you would take this from me I would give it back um right but also my life experience and my ability to connect to other humans is only enriched by by this so Mm -hmm. I don't think anything that I create I mean mean, sometimes they're totally unrelated but Right, right and like you you well know this like once Mm. social justice is in the back of everything that you do then it's in the back of everything that you do absolutely absolutely everything that I do is now like I I, one thing I like about my platform is I actually challenge my people to like think bigger and think differently and like I wrote a post about perfectionism like a couple of weeks ago, like it, it doesn't matter. It was just like, I have the, the privilege of being able to create content with some challenging layer of lived experience, but mm-hmm. it also means that I can never not talk about, you know, oppression in its many ilks. Mm-hmm. And I'm less, I'm less oriented to do, I mean, I'm not looking for cookies. And so I'm really yeah. thoughtful about the way that I do it, but mm-hmm. I, I, and it means a lot to me, Dana, that you read it and, and feel connected as well. Um, and that it doesn't feel like I'm like trying to posture and like no. show mm-hmm. like, this is me. And I am like 
with, like, <laughs> like we all we all have you know we all have bodies and some of us will live with relative ease and good health and that is such a blessing and some of us will be supported and that is such a blessing and some of us will not and won't be and that is hard and that is the point of community um to have somebody like to talk to you and have you say that like you see me and like you've been where I am now Mm. with like your cute pink walker (laughs) like my walker is real cute too right um like it it just it means a lot yeah community is so important which is why you know it's important not only you know going back to what you had written about you know needing or we should or inviting ourselves to rewrite our stories but to tell our body stories you know what I'm saying like that it's okay and that is one of one of the many things that is beautiful about your Instagram that it's okay to talk about these things you know what I mean one of the things uh one of the terms that I use to talk about abled people. I call them temps. And this is, you know, courtesy of Carlos Kareem Wyndham, who they are one of my favorite people. But we're all temp. Ability is temporary. If you live and experience life long enough, your, your ability is going to change, just like our bodies change, which, you know, is something that you talk about a lot. But we're all temps until we're not. You know what I mean? Like, that's just reality. And it's okay to talk about that. It's important to talk about it because, I mean, you are, we're, you're so right. They're so right. Like, one, like, our bodies will ultimately not yeah. be here. Like, this mm-hmm. is the thing that we all think about is like, you come here and then you will not be here anymore. And how do we want to spend the time in yes. between? And like, because that's like the destination for everyone right it's like come here you arrive and you are right. no longer right um, and having an able body is you know a relatively temporary experience and I think that we have power as young people um to actually talk about these experiences in different ways because there's yes. a very dramatic response the difference in responding to my disabled body than I would then then would be elicited if say I were walking next to a an old man that like yes. appeared to be aged uh-huh. like yeah we were perceived differently on the planet mm-hmm. yes and yeah, like you said, like, we have to talk about it. Like, you know, I feel and we don't have to, but, you know, I sort of feel like it is one of my responsibilities as a human who is on this planet right now in this very challenged body to talk about my experiences, because the reality is that there are millions of other people like me, like, and and one of the things too that you know I always want to remind people that living with any sort of you know however you present if you have a disability life isn't over you know what i'm saying life goes on and is great 
You know what I mean? Like, it's not the end of the world if you, you know, present differently on this earth. It's, is it challenging? Hell yes, it's challenging. However, like, life is still a good thing, yep. you yep. know, and it's important for people to know that. It's important for people to, people to know that. And it's important for people to be able to show up and to be hopefully held by the people in their community. And I think one, I think about this a lot. I think about, and I haven't, I haven't, I mean, there's a pandemic, so I haven't really mm-hmm. been outside of right. friends. I think about the privilege that has been afforded to me to be able to move about the planet the way that I have. Mm-hmm. And if it makes someone uncomfortable, then that's probably the point, right? Like mm-hmm. the point of me is not to challenge you. The point of me is not for you to like have to navigate your own feelings about what right. it means witness a disabled person. But there's never a time that I leave my house that people don't do double and triple takes trying to figure out why I mm-hmm. need that, right? Yep. And it's, I mean- this is an interesting conundrum. We have a, I I feel like I have a responsibility to speak to the reality of disability and the reality, like to speak to what you're saying, like life does not end here. I still Mm -hmm. have a really big fat life. Mm -hmm. And we learned in the last year that in fact, we can do good work from home and screens are actually effective devices for communication. Right. And gosh, I really hope that things remain as accessible. They will not, but it would be charming if they stayed as accessible yes. as have been, because I know there are a lot of humans who have felt increasingly valued on this mm-hmm. planet because they've been able to do work from not to leave like in, in, in a home based setting. Right. Um, And we'll see how that unfolds. So with that said, I know you're very busy. I thank you so much for taking time out to uh, chat with me about this. It's so important and you're such a huge voice and I'm just so honored that to be in conversation with you. So thank you. This is my honor entirely. And will you tell everyone where can people find you online? Sure. I hang out in a little part of Instagram. My uh, handle is Dietitian Anna. Uh, I would love to see you. And if you want to send me a message and say you found me because of myelin and melanin, that would make me really, really happy. I respond to most messages. That's maybe a lot. But if you said myelin and melanin, I would give that to you. Um, there's a lot, there's a lot of them, but yeah, it would be my honor to have you join the party. Thanks for tuning in to the Myelin and Melanin podcast. You can find us online at myelinandmelanin.com as well as Instagram and Twitter at myelinmelanin. If you want to connect with Dana, me directly, you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at retrosoul.com underscore underscore and well hey i'm on the instagram too uh and if you want to connect with me uh go ahead and reach out i'm at el caballo negrito 
Caballo is C-A-B-A-A-L-O for the monolingual. Uh, and that would be important if you want to find me on Twitter, which is just El Caballo Negro. Uh, you can find me there. Uh, hey, catch up with us next time. We're going to keep raising the temp. <laughs>